Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Morning, church. Um, our Ephesians passage today is uh, Paul's third illustration following marriage and parenting. Now, those topics don't actually apply to every Christian because not all Christians are married and not all Christians are parents. But today's topic, what we're going to cover today, applies to every single one of us. Um, now, I'm going to be dealing with the worker aspect of our message. And Carol, um, you know, my wife, is going to be handling the employer part. And next week, um, Andy Megan is going to cover the same topic, meandering and going all over the place as I try to remember things I've forgotten. Um, okay. So, today's um, retirement age is 66, all right? And it's going to be 67 in 2028. So what that means is that a lot of us are going to spend a huge amount of time in the workplace, you know, our employees or in self-employment. Because of that, the major aim of this message is to explore how we can increase the knowledge of God in our workplaces and other places. How we can increase the knowledge of God in our workplaces and other places. Um, my talk is going to be in three main sections. Um, you know, the first one is going to be workers and their work, followed by workers and their evangelism, workers and teamwork. Okay? So let's take a look at the passage that was read for us uh, so wonderfully again. Um, now, the first word is slaves. Some translations use the word servants and others use the word bondservant. But the translation notes of the NET Bible, that is the New English translation, which is the word slaves, states that the original Greek word does not bear the connotation of a free individual serving another. So basically, they're justifying the use of the word slaves. But it doesn't even matter anyway, because today, I'm not going to be talking about slavery. Because today's topic is on workers and employers, or employees and employers. Okay, so... Um, so we've now moved to, um, you know, to my main, you know, to one of the main, um, you know, headings, which is workers and their work. Now, in Ephesus, at the time that Paul's letter was written, the majority of the people who were working were slaves, all right? But that's not the case now in modern-day Great Britain. The vast majority of us were employees. And sadly, there are some people that are slaves, but they a tiny minority, and it is against the law anyway to enslave some people, to enslave people in our nation. Um, but then, how are we going to apply this? You know, the, the 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 passage that we read. How are we going to apply it? You know, to our modern day situation. I mean, one option is to change the word "slaves" to "employees," but when we do that, it doesn't really make sense. So, if I say, for example, "employees obey obey your." earthly masters or employers with deep respect and fear. I mean, most of us know that that's not what we're expected to do you know, by law. Okay? But I discovered that if we jump to straight, straight to verse 8, which is the bit about reward, 
that will help us to apply the passage to our contemporary situation because it speaks to enslaved as well as free Christians. Okay? So, I, I mean, I'll read it in my uh, NET version. It says, remember that the Lord will reward each one of you for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Okay? And this message was written to Christians. So whether we're, as Christians, we're slaves or whether we're free. So it applies to every single one of us. Now, I was so keen to obey the bit about remember the reward. I mean, I'm motivated by reward. I was so keen, you know, to, to, to explore that aspect that I checked 63 English translations of verse 8 to understand what we must do to get this reward. And guess what? One translation says that we need to do what is right, okay? Another says that we need to do anything that is beautiful and excellent. The rest, the vast majority, show that whatever good that we do would lead to reward by Jesus Christ. Whatever good that we do in the workplaces and other places is going to lead to reward but, but, you know, from Jesus Christ. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we're told by Peter that Jesus, every, that Jesus Christ went everywhere doing good. I'll just, I'll just um, read that to us in, in, my, you know, in my NLT translation. It says, and you know that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Paul is telling us in that passage that we thought was about slavery, at the very end that whatever good that we do in, in, in our workplaces and any places will be rewarded by Jesus Christ. And we remember that Jesus Christ went around doing good. He left a wonderful example for us to follow. Now, I'm going to say a very quick word on anointing. Because there are probably some Christians who read that passage and they think, oh, I'm not anointed. I'm not anointed to do these things, to be like Jesus Christ in this sense. But our scriptures in many different places tell us that we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And, if, and sometimes people need something tangible to just sort of remind them well, if you need that, then remember the time that you were baptized. At the very least, at that point, you were anointed because you're following in the footsteps of what Jesus Christ did. And he and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. So every child of God is anointed to do the work of Christ. Okay. Um, then, then the other thing is that some people may, you know, then the other part is that Jesus Christ, you know, was healing those who were oppressed by the devil. I know that at some point, we're going to be dealing with the armor of God. And that will help us with that aspect. Because we too are expected to be involved in that battle between good and evil. But the armor of God will probably deal with that. Okay. So, so we've now arrived at our first sub-point, which is that Christian workers are expected to do good in our workplaces. Everything that was said in, in verses 5, 6, and 7 of our passage can be summarized as doing good. Doing good. Okay. Now, um, the way that each one of us is going to do good in our workplaces will vary. It will vary because we have different employment contracts. 
We have different targets. We have different goals, environments, and so on. Now, doing good in your job as a pilot will be different if you're a waiter in a coffee shop or a policewoman. The way you do good will be different. Now, again, each, it's going to be different again because each one of us is unique. And God is going to deal with us as unique people because we have our, you know, um, you know, idiosyncrasies and foibles. And God will deal with us based on, on who we are. But I'm going to, um, in, in a way, ex, you know, illustrate this thing about doing good. Because as I was preparing this message, I suddenly remember something from my history. Because there was a time when I was about 25, uh, working as a computer engineer. So at that time, computers were fairly big. So you go to a, you know, to a client, you repair the systems, you carry the, the big system board, you carry it to your workshop, and then, you know, and then you repair it. Then I remembered that at that time, I was doing good by singing. Okay, I'm going to actually do, you know, illustrate that now. Not because I have a great voice, but there was a song that I would sing in that workshop. Everywhere he went, he was doing good. The mighty healer, he healed the lepers. When the cripples saw him, they started walking. Everywhere he went, my Lord was doing good. There was a result. One person became born again, and then I know that another person who you know, had a Christian background, started to join me in singing Christian songs that he'd probably learned from Sunday school. And the person that became born again also became a pastor later on. I met him, you know, a few years ago, and he was attributing to his salvation to some of the things that I was doing in the workplace at that time. So, and it's not about me singing or whatever. It's just about being available for the Holy Spirit to use you to use you to do good, wherever you are, policeman, whatever, waitress, whatever. God will use you, your idiosyncrasies, your foibles, and all kinds of things about you. He will help you to do good wherever you are. Okay, now, um, now Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 will even explain this better because it says that, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Every single one of us. Yes, at a point in time, our parents came together, and biologically, we were created. But then, then there was a point at which God himself did something, he recreated us in Christ Jesus. And not just for ourselves, sometimes some messages, some churches, is all about you, 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 I, me, 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 me. No. He created us to do good works that he has prepared for us in advance. So, so the work, the company that you're in right now, God knew about it in advance. And, and has made and there's an expectation that you will do good works there. The one, the job that you're going to do in a year's time, in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time, he, he also knew that. That is why our scripture says that God is working all things together for good. 
and for his purposes. Sometimes you get carried away with, I've got, you know, God should bless me. This is, no, no, no. It is for his purposes. That is why he created us to do good works. Okay. Um, okay, so now, in our nation, um, okay, so we want to do good works in our places of work because we want it to be filled with people knowing Christ Jesus. We want our colleagues to be saved. We want a Christian or a, a Christ honoring atmosphere in our workplaces. But how are we going to achieve this in light of the many legal restrictions and company rules that make it increasingly harder for us? You see, in our nation, if you evangelize, you will notice that the majority of people are not interested in Christian things. How can we increase interest? We've now arrived at the second main section where I'm going to attempt to answer those questions. So I'm not going to talk about workers and their evangelism. Now, in our evangelism and from our pulpits all over the world, we rightly speak to non-believers from God's book of special revelation. That is our Christian speakers. Now, if people aren't interested in this, why don't we speak to them from God's other book, the book of nature? Now, Romans chapter 1 mentions it, and Psalm 19 says it. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth knowledge. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Why don't we speak powerfully to people from that, from that book. Now, in a few moments, we're going to watch a video. But before then, I want to set the scene by giving some examples from my last workplace. Um, some of us may, may not know that the concept of intelligent design, it is a scientific approach which argues that living things show evidence that they were designed. Designed implies a designer. It is then for Christians to show that this designer is the God of the Bible. Okay? Now, um, okay, so let me start off by giving the exa one example. So, uh, my Christian brothers in this particularly big workplace, they you know, put out a, a poster because we we're going to have an event. Then I noticed that an atheist had defaced the poster. All right? But that gave me an idea. So now I wrote a letter, A4 letter. I hope I printed it at work, because when I was remembering this, I realized that it would have been wrong if I printed it at work. But I think I printed it at home. Um, so, <laughs> um, okay, so I wrote this A4 letter, with, and the heading was, to the atheist who defaced the Christian poster, something like that. All right? And then I presented some arguments against atheism and, you know, for intelligent design, etc. So I didn't just post it in the area where he had, you know, or put the poster in, in the coffee area where I, I saw the original one. I went to all the buildings and different floors. You know, it was a good excuse. So now I left, you know, so I left it there. And I got a result. A few days later, the head of the Christian, Christian group came to me or he contacted me and said that he had received the complaint. You know, at the bottom of my letter, I mean, which was really, I mean, it was just arguments, 
about, about, uh, about design. It is nothing offensive to any individual person. And I put my name there, and not my work email, but my personal email, so they can contact me. But the building manager had, contact, I mean, clearly somebody had read it and informed him. Contact, instead of contacting me, contacted the, the Christian leader. And anyway, he, he, he got to me. As a result, I, just, I resigned from the you know, Christian group. I was still part of on the rota, you know, teaching and so on and attending. But I thought I should resign because I don't want that situation. I, want, I don't want what I wanted to have the freedom to do whatever I felt was right without it reflecting on the Christian group. But then I had another idea from that. I joined so many groups within that, within that company. I even joined the women's group. Why? Because I, because I felt that as a Christian, I should be there. I should be there. So, you know, so I joined many different groups. Um, then, the, okay, so another thing was that in January this year, you know, we, we went to a supplier and the expert there, I mean, we wanted to buy some, you know, computer systems. Um, so the expert there was given a presentation. And in his presentation, he mentioned a bird. So at lunchtime, I approached him. I said, you mentioned this bird. To cut a long story short, I, this, you know, after a while, the guy realized I was a Christian. I'm telling you, he was very excited to talk to me. Very excited. It was obvious because he thought that this is now a chance to tell one of those God-botherers that, you know, all your stuff is nonsense or whatever. Anyway, we had a, we had a long talk and about science and so on and so forth. And I know that his attitude changed. His attitude changed. But I missed a trick because later on, I mean, I should have sent an email and, and so on, but I, but I missed that. I missed that. Okay, but in my resignation email, because I decided that, you know, I didn't need to be working anymore. So in my resignation email, I wrote all sorts of things of thanking people and so on. And then I said if they wanted to contact me, they could go to a website. I mean, I created a web platform, you know, which has all kinds of science and God things inside it. So I, but, I, but I used it again to try and bring up briefly this intelligent design idea. Okay? Now, then again, you know, our, you know sometimes we have, you know, in our, in our chats, we would sort of banter a little bit. You know, people would talk about football and so on. Somebody mentioned a rose, and same thing, you know. I took it to talking about intelligent design, nature, and so on. But he wasn't interested. But I realized that I just need to do my bit. God is expecting us to do good in our workplaces. And then, you know, and then the rest is up to him. But one final thing I need to say about all this is that it was all mixed with praying. So it wasn't just... You know, you did, I did this, I did that. Praying was also an important part of it all. Okay, so um, we're going to watch a video. Um, I, I didn't even check to see if it is ready. Is it ready? So, okay, thank you. So can we just play that video, please? Um, yeah, about FireMaker. Remember intelligent design. Imagine a world without airplanes. Or computers or cooked food or metal tools or cars or modern medicines or electric lights or cell phones 
or any phones. Imagine a world without fire and the human capacity to harness it. Fire enabled ceramics, which led to the production of pottery, pipes, bricks, and tiles. Fire led to the creation of glass, which produced glassware, windows, plate glass mirrors, and eyeglasses. And fire led to the rise of metallurgy, which allowed us to transform raw ore containing copper, iron, and other metals into utensils weapons and tools. Metallurgy in turn led to one invention after another. Metal nails, steel, printing presses, steam turbines, telegraphs, internal combustion engines, light bulbs, telephones, automobiles, televisions, computer chips. In short, humanity's mastery of fire was the initial domino that produced a succession of innovations leading to the world we know today. But as critical as fire is to the world we live in, its miraculous powers couldn't have been harnessed just anywhere or by just anyone. In fact, there's only one known planet in the universe designed to reap the benefits of fire. Earth. And there's only one known animal capable of harnessing the power of fire. Humans. Brothers and sisters, um, I want you to understand that something is really happening, something is taking place. You know, our scripture says that the fool says in his heart or her heart that there is no God. Now that is, is a theological statement, but believe you me, it is now backed up by science. The evidence is so overwhelming. All that is required now is for people like you and me to just Take that message or that truth, that truth, and, and send it out there into the world. And again, very briefly, very briefly, the religion that is, um, that is next to Christianity in terms of adherence, I can tell you that it is very much on the ropes now, although that truth hasn't really come out to many people. It's on the ropes because... The truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is defeating the lie of that religion in ways that many of us don't realize. Something is happening. We need to really, really start playing our part in proclaiming the truth. And, you know, we now have a chance to actually tell the whole world, to tell the whole world about our Lord and Savior because it, the lies, many of the lies, have been defeated. 
But I'm going to be really, really quick now, very quick. So how do, how do we apply this intelligent design message? So, so for example, a nurse, let's talk about a nurse. In, in the workplace, the nurses aren't really supposed to be preaching and telling people about God and so on and so forth. It's hard for them. So, so what can we do? So you see, you know, maybe the patient has flowers or something. You find a way to, to connect from that to start talking about intelligent design. Or you could even just talk about the medical equipment. And the, the video that we've watched shows us that virtually everything, or if there's nothing on this piano, sorry, on, on, this, on this platform, there's nothing here that did not come as a result of fire. There's nothing, nothing. So that's a, what, if we master that, that, you know, that message, again, you know, we're in a, in a hospital, we start talking about the medical equipment and then find a link to talk about intelligent design. And, you know, um, okay, I have a web platform and I hope that the chapel at some point will have a web page that deals with some of these issues so that, you know, maybe a nurse has talked about intelligent design and then she can then say, oh, you can find out more at this place. And then it is at our website that would then make the connection and say this designer is actually the God of the Bible. Okay? Um, and that applies to so many of us, you know, in our different, you know, areas of work. We don't actually have to start saying, well, Jesus is the Lord and so on. Start from there. You know, we can start from a different angle and then the same truth will eventually come out. Um, so, so our, 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 you know, what we just need to do is to start the process and then, you know, the web platform could, could continue. Okay. Oh, and, and then similarly, again, you know, you and your mates, you're at the pub. Same thing. Same thing. Even the, the, the glasses that you're using, the barrel that, the, you know, that the beer came inside. There are ways by which you can connect and, you know, and start talking about God. And there are lots of YouTube videos that would describe the manufacturing processes. You can even start talking about the chair and, you know, and find a connection. So... The last thing I want to now talk about is workers and teamwork, all right? So we may do good works and not see or hear, you know, that anyone benefited from it. Um, so there's a brother, all right, no, there were some sisters in our church that met somebody who had alcohol problems, okay? Anyway, so they, they brought him to, or they encouraged him to come to church, and as a result, many of us got involved in ministering to him and he became saved and got baptized. On the day that he was baptized, I was shocked to meet other Christians who had actually been involved in his life before. Because I thought his story was these Christian sisters met him and then we ministered to him and he got baptized. No. His story in terms of Christianity you know, went further back than that. So each one of us were just expected to do good, to be available for God to help us to do good works. We play our part, and then another Christian, set of Christians will play their part. And then eventually, God will receive a lot of glory from the whole thing. Now, I mentioned earlier on that my focus is on the reward mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And now I need to reveal to you that that reward is that God will cause the fulfillment of Habakkuk 
2.14. He says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Imagine if that is realized in our nation. That is what we're after. Okay, we're going to watch a video now, you know, um, where my wife would talk about the, the work of it. Hey everyone, greetings from Togo, where I'm working this week. It's such an awesome privilege to be asked to do this tag preach with Abby, even though I can't join you in person. Picking up from Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now, I know that many people find this part of scripture quite difficult because of its connotations to slaves and masters. But as somebody who's founded an international organization and has managed teams and people for many, many years, I find it quite radical. And that's because it's one of the places where I draw inspiration on my leadership journey as I seek to get better and to lead people who I believe God has entrusted to me for however long I have the opportunity to influence them. Now, this verse of scripture has two parts to it. The first part clearly shows that masters have a responsibility to their servants, whilst the second shows that equally they have a responsibility to God. So after this, I'm going to replace masters with bosses and servants with employees or the people you know that they lead just simply because i'd like to apply it to our circumstance now one of my favorite things to do is to teach on leadership and every time i have the opportunity to do so i like to spend time reflecting on the different styles of leadership in fact i was doing that earlier today and i asked my class how many styles they're aware of and what they think the merits and demerits of each style is. Now, spoiler alert, there are about 10 styles of leadership, but I won't go into all of them today. However, I'm always quite delighted when someone in my class includes servant leadership because it instantly tells me that they're very likely, although not always, a Christian. The other thing I like to emphasize is a management principle that's so simple yet so profound which is that authority and responsibility should always go together. You see, authority doesn't exist for its own sake. If you have authority, it's there so you can carry out certain obligations. And that means they should also be held to account. Anyone who has authority should be held to account for how well they discharge their responsibility. Now, many of us have authority of one form or the other. And for believers in Christ, this principle is especially significant. That's because Christians are fundamentally people who are under authority, that of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means we have a responsibility not just to do our jobs, but to Christ himself. And this is the point that Paul is making when he addresses masters in his letter to the Ephesians. Incidentally, he uses the same Greek word, curious, to describe the Lord Jesus Christ and masters of slaves. And that's because despite the differences between the two, the same basic idea of authority applies to both. 
And here in Ephesians 6, 9, Paul is deliberately making a point based on this idea of authority. He's speaking directly to masters of slaves and he's reminding them that they themselves have a master, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Paul says here isn't just limited to first century slave masters. It applies to anyone who has authority over others, to bosses in offices today, to employers. And that means it applies to most of us even in various ways, depending on what authority we might have. So from this, I'd like to further draw out three different principles that can help us treat those who work for us or those who we have any kind of authority over in a way that honors the Lord. Number one, do the same. This phrase is literally the application of the golden rule. Do you want do unto others as you would have them do unto you? It's drawing on the previous verses 5 through 8, which focuses on the spiritual obligations of servants or employees, if you like. Here, masters or bosses are given the exact same charge. Namely, they're supposed to be doing the will of God for the good of all others from a pure and willing heart. As a boss, you might be in charge, but you also are supposed to meet others at their point of need according to God's ways and treat them. All your dealings should be that way. Number two, stop your threatening. This involves ditching worldly methods of oppression and intimidation that make people feel vulnerable or feel that their jobs or their positions might be at stake. Now, in a culture <laughs> where they had slave owners who had the freedom to abuse their servants, I mean, this was pretty radical. You know, it was like, who's going to talk directly against this practice? Well, Paul did. And his reasoning was based on God's word. There's a powerful incentive for all bosses to be careful, you know, how they treat those who they're line managing. And it's really important because if we have power or privilege or authority over people, we have to remember that we're still accountable to God for our actions towards those that we lead. This basic idea applies regardless of any culture or laws. Our relationships shouldn't be based on the power we have, whether we're at home or at work, it should be based on the principle of love. We should relate with our friends or colleagues, you know, that way. And the scripture is clear. If we don't walk in love, we're not really representing God's kingdom effectively or fulfilling our calling as salt and light. I've had many, often indirect opportunities to witness about my faith in the marketplace. And many years ago, something happened that brought this principle to life for me. Someone who was effectively a client offended me so deeply, they even threatened me. And at the time, all I was trying to do was help them. But they felt entitled to something I was offering. And when they thought they wouldn't get it, you know, they started bad mouthing me. I have to be honest, I was hurt. But I realized 
that taking them on will probably result in a situation where not only would I be dragged into what might have very quickly become a very public social media dispute, and with things like that, you never really know how messy they might get. But also, I knew that I had the power to get them blacklisted and to prevent them from winning funding from many funders who I had a relationship with. And as hard as that situation was, as hurt as I was and as tempted as I was to just repay evil to evil with evil, I thank God that he reminded me that a soft answer turns away wrath. And also, I needed to just take a minute, you know, and not allow my flesh to rise up. And so I chose not to fight fire with fire. And instead, I just chose not to respond, at least not immediately. When I had the opportunity to, I asked to have a discreet word with the offending party and to offer them some advice. <laughs> At the time, I worked with a group of other consultants who witnessed most of what had occurred and they were also involved in much of the process. And as far as they were concerned, this was somebody that we needed to ban in all and to sanction in so many different ways. Hmm. Miraculously, when we called the meeting, what we expected to be a contentious meeting actually turned out to be quite peaceful. And it was an amicable conversation where the other party actually started by offering an apology for their actions and explained what they were going through, which had motivated their behavior. Afterwards, one of the consultants cornered me and said something that I've never forgotten. He said to me, look, what you did today has not only encouraged me, but inspired me as a Christian to be bolder about my faith and to put it into practice at work. You see, this young man had observed my behavior and how I had managed to convince everyone else that we needed to take a different approach. And he had suspected that it was impossible to react like this, certainly from his corporate experience, and to deal with things this way unless something was motivating me and he concluded, concluded that I had to be a Christian. And so he gathered up the courage to ask me and to tell me that the way I led the proceedings, you know, really broke him, convicted him and inspired him. Now he didn't know this, but it taught me a huge lesson. And that's the fact that people are watching every single thing that we do at work especially if we're the leader of the boss and they know or suspect that we're Christians. Now, the first and second points, fulfilling our spiritual obligations and being careful how we treat those whom we have power and authority over is very possible when we have a deep understanding and appreciation that everyone has an eternal value to God. So that leads us to our third point, which is that all people are equal before God. In Paul's time, and in fact today, this is such a radical statement, especially in a world that thrives on power. It was then, it still is. Because right now, people are so hung up on power, privilege, and hierarchy. It's not changed. We're reminded that there is no partiality with God, 
and he'll not show favor to those with more money, more titles, or influence. God judges perfectly and righteously, and godly actions are required of masters and bosses alike, regardless of their earthly status. In fact, abuse of another person in the eyes of God is not excused in any relationship, not less, you know, employer or employee. And I'll go so far as to say that anytime we see someone as less than us, we're automatically inflating our worth. And that's similar to the scene of Lucifer. And it demonstrates an unbelief and disobedience to God's word. I find it extremely fascinating and inspiring that unlike what the world teaches, Paul's words here fit in with the teachings of the whole of the New Testament about relinquishing power. Contrary to the world's way of aspiring to the top of the social hierarchy, Jesus actually teaches us and shows us the reverse. And those who follow the path of humility to serve, remember servant leadership, will be elevated. You know, if we understand Christ's way of interpreting power, authority, and hierarchy, we can look at some of Paul's writings which consistently challenge power dynamics of his day. And he is always trying to replace them with a responsibility and obligation for the sociological transformation in the Christian community to rest upon those who have the power. He constantly challenged them to reverse the culture's negative evaluation of those without power. And that is consistent with what Jesus did. I especially like Colossians 3.28, which states that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, female or male, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? And so in closing, I just want to add that as well as the reward that awaits workers, we see that Jesus, our perfect example, never tells anyone to practice authority over anyone else, ever. On the contrary, he advocated the opposite and he led by example. I particularly like how the New American Standard Bible expresses the first part of the verse. It says, and masters do the same things to them and give up threatening. If we think about the things that he gave up, Jesus gave up his kingship. He came to earth and he served. He treated everyone regardless of their gender, class or status or, you know, equally, fairly and justly. In fact, he humiliated himself to the point of the cross and he gave up the ultimate privilege, his life. And that, my brothers and sisters, should be what drives and motivates and inspires our behavior. To close, I just want to pray right now that God would work in each and every one of us so that his word will be illuminated in our hearts and it will cause such a deep transformation that's radical wherever we go so that we will stop putting others down. We will strive, you know, whether we're employers or employees to work in a way that keeps his word close to us, helps us to obey it and refuses to diminish others. May God give us the courage to, to stand up for what is right at every point in time rather than just choosing what is easy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.